Hi, welcome to X Garage. This is Jake the Snake with you today. And today we got O. Henry and the car theist here. Uh, today we're talking a little bit more about Arminius and Arminianism and Romans 9. Because you can't talk about this topic without talking about Romans 9. Am I right? Am I right? You're right. Totally. You're right. You're right. Awesome. Cool. You're, right. You're right. I'm right. I know I'm right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're sounding right. charismatic here. I know I'm yeah. right. Just I know I'm right. Just like an arrogant Calvinist knows they're right. <laughs> Get all cage stage up in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Break out cage. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, Heath. Let's let's talk about Romans nine. Where do we start? <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. Where do we Where do we start? We'll start with verse one. <laughs> the beginning, which is a very good place uh, yeah. to start. Yeah. Well. Um, I guess we'll just do a cursory read to the text and then and then and, and present kind of just looking at trying to understand this in terms of a national corporate view of Jacob and Esau, Pharaoh, um, all these uh, figures as corporate national entities, because that from our understanding of what um, the Armenian tradition will do in terms of present day argumentation, we'll want to read this past this chapter in terms of nationalistic and not necessarily individualistic um so i just figured we'll walk through this and see what questions come up so i'm um, paul saying i'm speaking the truth in christ i am not lying my conscience bears uh, me witness in the holy spirit that i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for i could wish that i myself were cursed and cut off from christ for the sake of my brothers my kinsmen according to the flesh they are israelites and to them belong the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the worship the promises to them belong the patriarchs uh, and from them the, their race uh, according to the flesh is the christ who is god over all there's a, um, a statement for our um, uh, cults uh, blessed forever amen uh yeah that's christ who is that's an uh, appositional phrase there and the way they got it worded here i think it's a relative pronoun in the greek anyway let's see sorry we're getting off track already verse five yeah uh, father from whom yeah okay it is the christ and according to the one god being all Okay. Yeah, it's um, definitely, I think this is, there's an argumentation, I think, in, uh, uh, yeah, Wallace's book, he goes over, if anyone's interested in seeing that as a divine statement of Christ, concern, concerning Christ, Wallace has a good piece on that in his uh, Greek grammar beyond the basics. There's other books as well. Anyhow, going through this, so we have Paul, of course, um, going over and saying, you know, God's God revealed himself first to Israel. That's one of his big themes, even throughout Romans, is for, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Um, and the gospel has gone out from Israel, from Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. And so he always had that um, that ordering of, of this salvific plan of God. And that's we see that throughout the Old Testament as well. God called Abraham, and in Abraham's blessing, all the nations would be blessed. That's all the way through it. We carried up in the fall. And that's all he's doing here. He's saying he's mourning over the fact that so many of uh, the uh, national Israel, if you will, the many members that are born of the of Israel by gen genetically from literally the 
genealogical line of Abraham are rejecting the Christ, the one who was promised. Blessed forever is the God-man, God incarnate, God overall. Um, but it is uh, not as though the word of God has failed. Okay, so although, uh, so I'll keep reading, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Um, interesting, we have Israel here used twice in two different senses, of course. Not all that are from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham who, uh, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Okay, so maybe here we're looking at this through Isaac, um, your offspring should be named, maybe a national uh, picture of Israel, was maybe. I don't, um, so we're I mean, just talking about the like line the, of the Messiah. Uh, uh, ch ch children of the promise or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So this, this so this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But uh, I, uh, yeah, I was reading it from uh, a national, I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around a, a more Arminian reading of this passage. Not, not, yeah, he talks about the promise, but who are these promised people? Is it, is it, are we looking at a, an actual individual people or is Isaac mm -hmm. representing just an idea of a, a broader nation that in, has no one included particularly the promise? Um, in, in other words, does Isaac represent uh, a promise that uh, we incorporate ourselves into? Or is Isaac actually identified as um, a promised child? Like, like literally, he is um, a promised as an offspring of that is named Israel. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, it would be right. Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob was called Israel, right? So you could right. argue it in that way, or you could say that that Isaac was the image of. A representation of Christ, imperfect representation of Christ, and that's what we're going off. Is that what you're trying to get at, or? I think it was uh, Jacob was Israel, right? Yeah, Jacob was Israel. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I think you said that mm -hmm. well. Let's, I'll just keep okay. reading here. For this is uh, for this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca has conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though uh, they were not yet born and had done neither good, uh, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of of works, but of because of Him who calls. She was told, "The older will serve the younger," as is written, "Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated." Um, as I'm reading this. Mm -hmm. I see that we're dealing with two particular people uh, carrying up God's promises, the covenant promises uh, to Abraham, mm -hmm. and that that covenant promise was given to Jacob before he was even born. Yep. Is that how you guys are reading it? Yep, that's how I'm reading it. And so we're talking about the covenant of grace, and it's not conditioned on genetics. Not all Israel mm -hmm. are from Israel. Not all who are children of Abraham are his offspring, but through Isaac shall they be named. So let's find out a little bit about Isaac and Jacob, through whom it's continuing. Um, what shall we say then, since it's Jacob and not Esau, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
So uh, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. But the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I, raise, I raised you up that I might show you my power in you and that uh, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So, uh, so he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he, whom he wills. Uh, what's interesting is that phrase also goes back to, was it Deuteronomy with uh, Moses? Uh, that might be Exodus, maybe it's Deuteronomy, where God has, has mercy on whom he has mercy. He says this to Moses when mm -hmm. Moses asks um, to, uh, I believe, see God, or it's the point where Moses asks that he may have favor with God. And mm -hmm. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, I'll have favor on whom I have favor. So, um, and he showed favor to Moses, a grace. Yeah. And um, so even where the context from where this whole, I'll have favor on whom I have favor, um, it deals with individuals. Um, uh, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, so what I wanted to kind of touch on and get your guys' thoughts is, is how I've always read this and mm -hmm. um, is um, it really it comes down to this section here. Uh, I think what ties everything together is this idea throughout from the beginning of the passage all the way to the end is that God calls. Um, mm -hmm. We see that um, before they were born, God chose or God's purpose of election might continue um, not because of works, but of him who calls. And that's verse 11. Yeah. Uh, right here, him who calls, call that O. And it really deals with um, literally what it means to summons, to, to call out, to name, to invite. It, that it's not on it's not on the works it's not on what someone's done but before they're even born god had called and had his purposes of election came to fruition through god calling um jacob but and what's interesting is you see tied in all the way through so uh into verse 24 even us whom he has called not only not from the jews only but also from the gentiles so yeah. here's my thought is I personally could never read this corporately because of the tie here between Jacob, Esau, or even Isaac that God mm -hmm. calls. And then he says he also calls people out from uh, whether you're a Jew and born of Abraham who you aren't mm -hmm. even his point earlier was saying, if you're from Abraham, it doesn't make you a part of the promise. It just means you're a child of Abraham, but the promises are to those who God calls out from. So that to me is important is that preposition from. Uh, if we go down, let's see. Yeah, he called you uh, not only from the Jews, but also from this here is the from ek out of the Gentiles uh, here. So this little, looks like an E and then a squiggly line. There it is, it just popped up at the bottom of the screen, ek. Uh, it, it literally, in all of its uses, it's really a strong um, from. It's not like a, uh, it, 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 Paul could have used many prepositions here. He could have used just a genitive and said, 
who he called of, of something, uh, but he's using a real um, pretty strong uh, language that you're, the source is that you're being brought out from this people into the promised people. Mm-hmm. In other words, it seems like there's not some, some empty class nation, but God is filling the promised people with people. <laughs> he's filling, yeah. he's bringing a people together to make uh, a people of promise. So the people of promise are those he's calling out from the Gentiles and out from the uh, 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 Jewish nation to make Israel the true mm-hmm. Israel. Which goes back to his double use of Israel earlier, where he says not all who are from Israel are Israel. Yeah. Uh, it goes all the way back to I think chapter two, where he says circumcision of the heart—that's true circumcision. That it's not of Jewish birth, but those who live by the Spirit. So, your thoughts, guys? That that for me was a big one. It always has been, and I—I I, I mean, years back, I—I I definitely went through my stages where I—I I was trying to fit together Arminian and Calvinist, uh, you know, the whole election and all these things together. But uh, one of the things about Romans nine that I could never get my head around is trying to make it work from a, in, uh, from a, like we we're just talking about with our last episode, a conditional view of grace where we, we incorporate ultimately that, that decision was based on us seems to run contrary to this whole passage. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. What, what has always stood out to me is that that Paul actually asks the question, right? He asks the question that every um, Arminian asks, right? In verse 14, what shall we then say? Is there injustice on God's part, right? Because they would say it's, it's unjust that he would choose some and not others, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, of course, answers it by no means. And then he mentions um, Pharaoh. And this is actually one of the um, things that um, I can't remember who, I think it was my brother actually brought it up. He was like, he's like, but if you look at the passage about Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardens his heart before God hardens his heart. And so then he would say that, um, but then I'm like, so then is it a double hardening? But I I think I looked at the passage and I, I think actually it doesn't say that Pharaoh hardens his heart. It just says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And then later God says um, that he has hardened um, Pharaoh's heart. So I guess you just say that, um, yeah, it's God's just claiming the fact that he, he hardened it. So I guess that would be, be one of the objections that I've heard um, against that particular part. I don't know what you have to say about that. Uh, if you have anything to say about that, he, did, did he say that the first instance is Pharaoh hardening his own heart? Yeah, that's what that's what he would say. Um, I, I think looking at Exodus nine, it's it's actually the other way around. I was going to say, I think it actually was the Lord who is first mentioned to prepare, telling Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. Um, yeah, I think he says and, it actually much earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Exodus but, nine. Yeah. yeah. So my, my thought is this two things is either way it goes um, clear that God's hardening his heart. And so mm-hmm. uh, the question is, is how does he do it? And like you said, I think you uh, mentioned was that mm-hmm. or alluded to was the idea that um, 
a lot, just simply allowing Pharaoh to do his own thing. Mm, um, yeah. That g- giving people, that was kind of one of the teachings throughout from Augustine all the way through, even into going to our topic of Augustine, even to Calvin, especially you see in, in Reformed thought is that uh, the hardening of God is really by God allowing people to go about their own way without gra- granting them his favor. And, and mm-hmm. um, uh, which again would be the basis of them having the ability to walk in faithfulness is, yeah. is comes from God's favor, not from our own devices. Yeah. And even, so, even prior passive to, will, yeah, sorry. Even, even prior to Exodus nine, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. So yeah. like the, the, the intention on God's part was there already to mm-hmm. harden Pharaoh's heart. No, uh, and, that, and that's what I so found great. too. So I, I, I found that the argument was unfounded, but since I wasn't familiar with the passage at first, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll have to look into that. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's 10 times it said, or at least at last I remember some, there's a high number of passages where the, the clear emphasis is God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Not yeah. it's maybe if yeah. there is, I think there's one passage or two where sound where it places more of an emphasis on Pharaoh, but yeah. for the mm-hmm. most part, that whole, whole section is emphasizing god's plan of raising up pharaoh like paul says here for the purposes to show um his glory and uh in his yeah well but but. even even prior to these things i think that there are there are moments in genesis that you need to use as as paradigmatic ideas such as um abraham in the land of canaan uh, you know, God says, I'll, I'll return your, your, you know, 400 years down the road. I'll bring you guys back when the, the, uh, what's the word? When the, the badness of the, the Canaanites is complete or the, the, mm, uh, the wickedness yeah. of the Canaanites is complete. There is this intention in this, of course, foreknowledge, but intention that you know, th- these things will continue to happen. So le- leading them to their mm-hmm. own devices. And then furthermore, with, in the case of Joseph, um, you know, God, God uh, allowing is just as efficacious as uh, his him causing something to happen when he lets the brothers uh, do something for evil that he intended for good, right? Because uh, the, mm-hmm. the brothers sold Joseph into slavery that God let happen, but it was also according to his intention to use that evil for, for good. So uh, use, using those is like they, they come before this, this moment in Nexus, and obviously they come before Paul as well, that God uses the evil intentions of man. God uses mm-hmm. or, or foreordains that evil will continue for uh, a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think this can be just ignored. So it needs to be, a, of course, a holistic rendering of what the Bible says about um, yeah. evil and uh, its corresponding nature to salvation. Yeah, yeah and, that's, and, good. that's good. Yeah, and then the argument that is constantly brought up about that is um, what is asked in verse 19, right? Why does he still find fault for those who resist his will, right? So then we would we would um, fall into culpability of sin at that point, right? So if God hardens people's hearts, then how could we say that they are culpable um, of for their for their sins if God is causing yeah. them to do so? You know, one one thing that uh, a, a teacher pointed out to me with regard to um, how the how the gospel is presented, you know, Paul 
Paul predicts mm-hmm. that the the response to the gospel will be um, the the assumption that you can just go ahead and sin. So the way that you should present yeah. the gospel should create the uh, mistake that people will first make when they first hear it that uh, it's okay just mm-hmm. to you know you're for, you're forgiven do whatever you want. Paul pr- Paul yeah. predicts that response and then responds to yeah. that. He does. So, so yeah. in a similar fashion, you should be looking for the position that elicits mm-hmm. the kind of question or the kind of uh, pre- presumed response that Paul is mm-hmm. predicting here. So yeah, if, the, exactly. if the prediction by Paul is that people will respond in, in this way, where is that question? What then? Where Where is the, uh, 19. verse yeah. 14? Um, uh, 14 yeah, oh, and 19. Yeah, 19, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, both of the say, predictive questions there. Yeah, so you will say to me then, why, why does he still found fault? Who can resist his will? So yeah. that that is a, an obvious natural out, outflowing of the Calvinist position, the reform mm-hmm. position. People will respond that way, and they do very often. But I've, I've never heard somebody say from the Arminian perspective when, when they, they talk about libertarian free will, mm-hmm. um, at least in, in this context, uh, in response to the Arminian position. So uh, I think a, a good yeah. litmus test for these types of things, if the if the scripture presents a predictive question, then yeah. your your position should be such that that, that uh, predicted response should be something that is an outflow of the, the first presentation. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's great stuff, guys. I, I think the uh, just concluding on that is to say that um, clear clearly on, on that on the way we're reading it is that uh, God permits evil he's not actively out there forcing agencies agents in evil rather he allows people to go about in according to the good good ontology he created all all creation good and mm-hmm. um, to reveal his gr- grace and he, he redeems whomever he wills uh, but mm-hmm. he does this through our through the, the body of Christ through those he redeems through the proclamation of the gospel. Um, and then uh, for those who resist, it is literally that person resisting unless God gives them um, the grace to go otherwise, uh, which they don't, we don't deserve. That's the whole point. So it actually shows God's sorrow, mercy, um, justice, mm-hmm. other attributes of God are manifested in others' lives, such as Pharaoh. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole point is at the end of the day, uh, uh, while the gospel's out there, question is: Are you repenting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you, uh, the gospel's there for you to repent and to trust into, and in that basis, you'll find that um, you are living out the election that God had for you to from the very beginning. Um, it's so if if you're not believing, then you find yourself in the in sadly in the shoes of Pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us on X Garage today. We had a good time with you. Hopefully, you had a good time with us. And uh, we'll see you right next time on X Garage. X Garage. X Garage.